What I want to do with us today as we jump back into 1 John, I want to uh, recap a little bit the previous weeks in case you're new or you haven't been with us for a couple weeks, and then we'll jump into the new stuff. So John's writing this letter to a church that he's very, very fond of. This is not a letter, letter of rebuke. This is a letter to say, I love you. Let's get back on the same page. This church is very new. They're young, and they're, they're scared because there's a bit of a split occurring in the church. Individuals have come in from the surrounding area that are starting to preach the idea that though Jesus is important, he's not the son of God. And so the church is confused and they're hurting and there's a lot of relational tension as there are in many churches. And so John writes to say, let's get on the same page about the essentials. Let's, let's get to know God better so that we know how to behave in the future. So he says, let me give you a metaphor that we can all understand. God is light. So don't overthink this one. Light, good, dark, bad. So he goes, God is light, and if you are walking with this God who is light, then you will be walking in the light. Does that make sense? And so Mark jumped into this a couple weeks ago, and John's first big point is that if we're going to claim to walk in the light, then our relationships with each other are going to be deep. Because there's no way that we can all worship the same God and all go deeper with that God and have shallow relationships with each other. It doesn't work like that. So if you see yourself going deeper with God, but friendships are shallow or non-existent for you, then something is wrong. Week number two, Mark said that we need to take sin seriously. If you claim to walk in the light, then sin is going to be a big deal for you. You do not ignore it. You don't stuff it down. And you definitely don't identify with previous mistakes. Jesus came to wipe the slate clean for you. So to identify with a past mistake is to say, God, I love you, but I don't appreciate what you did for me. It's not enough. So if we're going to claim to walk in the light, sin needs to be a big deal for us. This week, John wants to show us another thing that has the potential to wound our intimacy with God and wound our intimacy with each other. So let's talk about the church for a second. The church is simply put a group of people. Now we are very unique in many respects, but in other respects, we're exactly like any other group. I don't care who you hang out with and how long you hang out with them. Inevitably, if you spend time with another person, you're going to hurt each other. You know this. Some of you are married and you love this person with all your heart and they hurt you. You love your kids if you have them, we hope, but they have hurt you. And this church, as fond as you might be of it, has individuals in it that are going to hurt you. If you've come here from another church, we're glad that you're here. But if you're running here because you got hurt in another one, you're like, I'm just going to start over here. I promise you, we're going to hurt you too. Because no matter what you do, we are all going to struggle with sin. And every relationship we're going to be in is going to have tension. So if that is a constant, you and me need to learn how to deal with it so that we can move forward. Because we're never going to touch the heart of Salem if we're internally unhealthy. And so John says, we need to handle relationships with each other really, really, really well. And so how he wants to set up this problem is, it, jump back to verse 3 with me. He says it this way. We know that we have come to know him or walk in the light if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. You've met this individual, I guarantee it. The individual that goes, hey, I'm a Christian too. You're like, oh, great, where do you go to church? They're like, I don't. Okay, what have you read in scripture lately? That, you know, what's God saying to you? He's like, I don't read the Bible. There's errors in it. Okay, how do you worship? Who do you worship with? Well, I worship in my own way by myself. 
Okay, then friend, can I very gently submit? You're probably not a Christian. Let me put it to you this way. If I told you I was a Denver Bronco football player, what would you do? You, thank you. You would lap. Tasha's too honest. You would. You'd be like, there's no way. Not that guy. And I promise you, you would laugh. I don't know the coach's name. I don't know any of the other players to the deep chagrin of my brother and my father's. It's a sore spot with our family. I don't remember the last time I watched a full football game. So for me to say that I'm a professional football player is laughable. Just like some individuals say that they're Jesus followers, but they have no deep relationships. They're angry all the time. And any relationship they do have is just full of tension and brokenness. It doesn't work like that, friends. We need to be so relationally healthy that outsiders recognize a difference. See, when John begins, he doesn't just want to say, follow Jesus's commandments in a general sense. He picks one. He picks one that he references. And in 1 John, he leaves it kind of mysterious. He doesn't actually say what it is, but he references what happens when we do it. When you read 2 John verse 5 or his gospel, you know exactly what he's talking about. When Jesus was talking with his disciples, he goes, let me give you a new command. It's going to sum up all the other ones. Love each other. That's it. And when John starts this letter, he goes, I'm not writing you anything new. I'm writing you something that you have heard before. In fact, you heard it from the beginning, meaning the beginning the church started. I guarantee you, I know what John's first sermon was. I guarantee it. Because he goes, this is, this is my message, period. He starts the church, gathers everyone together, and he goes, everybody, we're going to love each other. You're dismissed. I'll see you next week. I guarantee that was his first sermon. And so for me and you to take that seriously, you need to ask the question, what does it look like for me to love my fellow churchgoer, my brother and sister in the Lord? He says it to you. He says, you need to do with each other what Jesus did for you. So what did Jesus do with people that I need to replicate? Was Jesus patient? Unbelievably so. His disciples didn't get who he was for years and he still stayed with them. Was he long-suffering? Did he endure insults? Did he endure individuals that were extraordinarily mean to him? Yes. Do you do the same thing or do you run? You see, us human beings do very funny things when we get hurt. And this begins to show you the heart that John has in this letter. For some people, when they get hurt, they run. They see relationships as something that they're only good if they're comfortable. And so when a relationship gets uncomfortable, they leave. This has destroyed a number of marriages. And a number of churches, you jump into, thing, into the thing and you're like, man, I love this person. They're my soulmate. And then they do things consistently that wound you. And you're like, well, I guess I didn't find the right person. No, it has nothing to do with the right person and everything to do with what you believe about relationships. You jump into a church and you're like, God is here. God is moving. And I'm excited about ministry. And then a ministry leader doesn't behave perfectly. We apologize. And they hurt you. And the ministry that you genuinely were called to, you leave. And then you make it churchy and you say, well, God's calling me elsewhere. No, he's not. He's not calling you anywhere. You're running. When we get hurt, we do silly things. And some of us get hurt and we don't know what to do with it. And hate begins to grow and we begin to distance ourselves. And we go from relationship to relationship to relationship to church to church to church. Never really understanding what the problem actually was. And John says, I know what it is. You didn't obey the command to love each other. See, tension is actually a beautiful gift to you and to me. Tension in relationship reveals to you what you actually expected out of the relationship in the first place. Tension reveals to you what you actually thought the relationship should be in the first place. 
When you start running, do you want to know what that means? It means that you think relationships need to be comfortable. Or maybe for you, relationships are are tension-filled because you feel the need to always be right. And so when you're not, when things are hard, you leave. And you distance yourself and you think that it's humility to just not fight. It's not humility, it's cowardice. And you need to get back into relationship instead of running from it. And so John says, here's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on loving one another. Jesus was forgiving. Jesus was relational. Jesus was long-suffering. He was patient. Are you and am I? Now, let's assume for a second that you're sitting here and you're like, man, I love much of what Jesus says, but I don't want to follow that one. Because there's individuals in this church that have hurt me. So I'm going to make this internal relational covenant that you're going to sit on this side and I'm going to sit over here on this side and we're going to do our best to worship and not make awkward eye contact. And that's what you tell yourself. And you're like, I'm just going to avoid the confrontation. That's the wise thing to do. No, it's not. John gives you a warning. What happens if me and you don't take this command seriously? What happens? You get stuck. Believers get stuck. Here's what he says. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister. This is not biological. This is us. This is spiritual. If they hate a brother or sister, they are still in the dark. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or a sister is in the dark. And they walk around in the dark. And they don't know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Here's the dichotomy that John is setting up for you. This is not believers and non-believers. Friends, this is the church. He's assuming you're all believers. He goes, here's how we're going to behave. There are believers that listen to the Lord, that match their desires with him to love each other. And then there are believers that choose not to and let hate get in the way and start separating from people. That's the dichotomy. So don't, don't worry that we're sitting here going, man, if you're angry with someone, you're not a Christian. We're not saying that. We're assuming that you are a believer. John is. But he goes, here's the problem. When you begin to hate people and start separating from people in the church, you get stuck. What does it look like to get stuck? Well, he says that believers that love people, there's nothing in you to make you stumble. You are moving into relationships and running the risk of getting hurt. Well done. And then there's other believers that go, I don't want to get hurt again, so I'm just going to, I'm going to hate that person, and I'm just going to distance from everybody else. What does it look like for me and you to get stuck practically? Well, if you read Matthew 5, it says that if you can't, or Matthew 6, if you can't forgive someone, God says, I don't forgive you. He takes it that seriously. If there's someone you are raging at, and they are a believer, he goes, stop. It's not that you're not a Christian, but he goes, we're on a pause. God will wait. He's more patient than you are. And he goes, we are not moving forward relationally, you and God, until you go fix what is broken, even if it's not your fault. Reconciliation is a passion of the Lord that we need to take seriously as a core desire. If you, continue, if you read Matthew 5, it says that if you're worshiping and there's someone that you need to reconcile with and you haven't done it, he says, stop worshiping. You're not more righteous if you're like, you know what, what I need to do, I just need to worship. I need to get my mind right. No, you don't. You need to leave. How awkward would that be if we instituted that into our worship session? We sing a couple songs and then we're like, all right, pause. Anyone who's still raging against someone, please get up and leave. Don't make us do it because we'll do it. John says this desire needs to come from you. When you're sitting there worshiping and you're angry with someone, you need to leave. Not forever. 
but you need to reconcile. Think about the logic of this. Here's why God takes this so seriously. That God would send his son Jesus to come to earth and die for your sin and my sin when we hated him. But then we look at someone and go, I'm justified to continue hating you. Life doesn't work like that, friends. You don't accept that kind of love and grace and forgiveness and then turn around and not show it to someone. What that's showing you is something is wrong. And you need to reconcile Another way that he says you're stuck is that you lack direction. He says you're walking around in the dark and you have no idea where you're going. You ever been in a season where you just lack direction? Your job doesn't make sense. You don't know why you're there. You're frustrated all the time. Your family doesn't understand why you're mean and short with them. Prayers seem to go unanswered. You're praying all the time, but you're like, God doesn't seem to hear me at all. He seems 5,000 miles away. Maybe he is. And maybe he's intentionally pulling back, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. And he says, you are not obeying me, so we're going to stop. What does this look like in the believer's life? It looks like unanswered prayers. It looks like missed opportunities. It looks like disappointment. And it looks like wasted time. How many of you, and don't raise your hand, rhetorical question. How many of you have not gone to a certain ministry? You've not served, even though you desperately loved the ministry, but you knew someone else was going to be there. And you're like, no, I'm not doing it. That's a problem. How many of you have not gone to a certain event, whether it was church or family related, because you're like, I know someone's going to be there. That's a problem. How many of you, and I smile at this one because I know you all have done it. If you deny this, you are liars, okay? How many of you have been in the car and you are by yourself and you just start reaming against someone? You're screaming and they're not there and you somehow seem to always win that conversation. You, you have ne- there has never been a greater debater than an individual in their car by themselves. You always win. My friends, that is wasted time. That's a level of rage and illogical behavior that doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. It's wasted time. Now, before you think that you need to go find someone and apologize because God's not going to love you if you don't say sorry, that's not the motivation to do this. That's not the motivation to jump back into relationship. No one's ever started a friendship or reconciled that way. So John wants to walk you through why you should even want to do this in the first place. What motivates the believer to be relational, to forgive, to reconcile? He breaks the church up into three groups of people. And he gives you titles. He gives children, young men, and fathers. And it has nothing to do with biological age and everything to do with spiritual maturity. Because he calls everyone in the church little children. That's just a a sign of affection. But here, most commentators agree he's talking about your depth of relationship with God. So little children, this is not an insult. This is those of you that are new to faith. And he goes, let me tell you why I'm writing to you. I am writing to you, he says, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now, some of you have been believers for a long time, so it's kind of hard to go back sometimes, but I need you to go back to when you were first, when you first became a Christian. For some of you, it was when you were children, like literal children. Process for a second, if you're an adult and you come to faith, you have to look back over decades of poor relational choices. Like you, you've got a pattern. Everybody does. When I get hurt, I hurt back. But then you become a Christian and God's like, no, we don't do that. You go reconcile, you go heal, you go bring people back together. Imagine how strange that must feel if you're a new believer and you're processing this new command on your heart and you start to get down on yourself because you're like, man, I'm really not good at this, nor should you be, friend. John's like, I'm not writing to you because you're horrible at this. I'm writing to you because you're brand new. I'm not writing to you because you're not saved. I'm writing to you because you are. 
And then he says, fathers, and this is to any of you that have been a Christian for a number of years. Man or woman doesn't matter. You have some depth to you. You have some grit. And this is my favorite line in the letter. He goes, senior believer, do you want to know why I'm writing to you? Because you have known him who is from the beginning. The same God that watched you grow up, the same God that has been with you for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you know that God. Don't start fishtailing because you believe God is angry with you or disappointed. God just has a deep value for relationships. I'm not writing to you because you don't know this. I'm writing to you because you do. And then he says, young men, and this is any of us in the gap between new believer and senior saint. This is any of us that are fighting. He goes, young man, and again, man or woman, young person, younger believer, I'm writing to you because you are strong. I'm writing to you because you picked a fight with Satan and you're winning. I'm not writing to you because you're weak and defeated. I'm writing to you because you fought for your wife. You fought for your husband. You fought for your kids. You fought for your job. You fought for this city and you're not giving up. Keep going. I'm not writing to you because you're failing. I'm writing to you because you're winning. And just in case you somehow missed that, John repeats himself. And he says, young children, why am I writing to you? I'm writing to you because you know the father. There can be an insecurity that grows in us when we struggle with hate Because friends, don't ignore it. It's real. Sometimes we're angry for a very justified reason. Someone hurt you. And we can begin to think like, man, I must not be a believer. All those doubts that you have sometimes. He goes, hold on, hold on, come back to me. I'm not writing to you because you're not a Christian. I am writing to you because you do know God and I expect things of you. Keep fighting. And then a really neat moment that John has with those of you that are senior saints with children and young people, he changes the, the blessing and the motivation, but for senior saints, he doesn't change it. He says the same thing twice. And he goes, those of you that have been with God for a long time, you know him who is from the beginning. Rest in that. The same God that built the earth, the same God that made the heavens, the same God that built you, the same God that oversees your life and has brought you to Oregon, that God, you know him. Don't lose that. Don't like look back on the decades of faithfulness that God has to you and just thank him and go, you know what? I am angry right now, but I'm going to get back in there because God didn't give up on me. I will not give up on this relationship. You don't need to be best friends, but you go fix it. He says, young man, I'm writing to you because you have the word of God in you and you are fighting and you are winning. So church, all of that said, he looks at you and he goes, what is the primary motivation to actually care about one another? It is because you are saved. In all of the examples, the primary motivator for me to love you and you to love me and you guys to love each other is because God loved you first. You have to analyze your heart. If there's nothing in you that desires relationship with other people, something is wrong. Why? Because when I look at God's desires, mine should match. When I look at what God wants, I should want the same thing. And God loves fixing broken things. If there's no desire in me to fix broken relationships, then I'm not on the same page with God. Your motivation to fix what is broken should come from the fact that God looked at you and and thought, you know what? I love him. I love her. I'm going to fix this. If that matters to you, then broken relationships need to matter to you. Now, when I look at this motivation, let's assume for a second that you are, you're, you're with that, you like it, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be a relationally healthy person. Watch out. 
There's one more warning John gives you. He says, don't get distracted. Something can happen to you when you try, and me, when we try to pursue healthy relationships. Here's what he says. Jump over to verse 15 with me. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it is of the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, and the one who does the will of God remains forever. Friends, let's analyze this distraction because this worries John. He's like, don't do it. Don't love this this system. So he's not saying don't love the world, meaning don't love non-Christians. There's plenty of passages to affirm that we need to go love people. This is don't love the way the world does. Don't love its system. What was it? Threefold. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in your possessions. Your Bible might say pride of life, but that word life is translated the stuff you have in your life. What do all three of those have in common? Lust of the flesh, whose flesh? Yours. Lust of the eyes, whose eyes? Yours. Pride in possessions, whose possessions? Yours. You want to know the biggest danger to you loving other people? It's yourself. It's me. It's the world saying, you know what? That, that relationship is going to be really hard. There's going to be a lot of pain. I would focus on yourself first. I would make sure you're safe. So this is the individual that cares more about being comfortable in relationship than really loving someone. This is the person that wants to be right all the time and doesn't want to run the risk of maybe being wrong and corrected. This is the person that loves justice and that sounds good, but it's not. Because Jesus ran the risk of being mistreated so that he could love you. We need to run the risk of being mistreated so that we might love somebody else. The way that the world loves is they say you first and then maybe other people. Probably not. And John says something interesting about that type of love, that type of lust. He says, it's passing away. Why would he put that? He does that again as a beautiful warning. John Piper says it this way. You and me would never invest in a company that we knew was failing. We would never invest in a company we knew was going down the drain and was going to die. So don't invest in that. Not don't invest in people, not don't love people. Don't invest in a love that says you first. Because that'll kill you. A number of years ago, I was working for a company in town and I loved it. I was moving up the ladder in the business and I had one more step before I could become a manager and, and run one of the locations. And at the time I was an assistant manager. So I put my application in to be a manager, did the interview, thought it went well. And I was waiting for a call and I got a call from the guy that was going to oversee all of the locations. So he was going to be my direct report. I knew him. We did Bible study together. I'd been over at his house a number of times, considered him a good friend. He's a believer, goes to a church here in town. I thought everything was good. He gives me the call and he goes, hey man, I'm really sorry you didn't get the job. That didn't break me. What broke me was coming next. And he said, by the way, we are deleting all assistant manager positions. So I'm going to give you another spot in the company. Don't worry, we're not firing you, but you don't have that position anymore. Now I was cordial on the phone, but the moment I hung up, what began in me was the seeds of a, a level of rage I can't explain. I hated this man. I loathed him. The level of my maturity was deeper than I realized. And if anyone would listen to me for two seconds, I ripped this man a new one. I lied about him. I gossiped about him. I shamed the company. I shamed the owner. Everything. 
And I bounced around in that company for a number of months with no vision, no direction, no passion, no nothing. I didn't care who came in. I didn't care about the clients. I didn't care about my fellow employees. Didn't care about my direct reports. None of it mattered because I was wronged. And so eventually I couldn't take it, so I left. I left that job and I went to another company and I lasted two months because I couldn't stand it. I was like, I don't need to be here. So then I found another company that was phenomenal and I worked there for two years, but I knew the moment I got it, I was like, this is not where I need to be. I was thankful for it, but I was like, this, this isn't me. Again, no vision, no passion, no drive. And I was doing volunteer work here with the young adults, all the while wondering, like, God, when are you going to give me my shot? When can I become a pastor? None of it was working. Years were going by, friends, at this point, And this rage was just building and building and festering. And finally, I just started praying. I was like, God, something is wrong. I don't know what it is, but something is wrong. Me and you, I, I feel no closeness with you, God, at all. So, Lord, would you reveal to me anything that is getting in the way of me and you having real intimacy? And my boss's face just glowed in my mind. And I was like, well, that's weird. Move that aside. Lord, <laughs> would you show me anything that's getting in the way of me and you having intimacy and the face glows again. And I was like, well, why am I thinking of that idiot? So I moved it again and I prayed again. And I was like, Lord, would you show me? I'm showing you, he said. The man that you have brutalized with your words for years and hated and raged all the jobs you've lost, all the missed opportunities, it's because of that. And I'm not letting you move forward until you fix it. Fix what you broke. Stop running around and saying it's someone else's fault. Fix what you broke. And so I called him after building up the courage to dial the man's number. And I said, can we go to coffee? And he was like, sure, man. And I hadn't seen this guy in years. So I'm, I'm just telling you right now, if you need to go do this, I promise you it will be awkward. And you got to own that. It will be awkward and it will hurt. And I sat there and I vomited everything that I had said about him for years. And I said, would you please forgive me for being an immature, whiny brat? And not treating you the way that you deserved as a fellow brother in Christ. I'm so sorry. And he goes, I, I forgive you, man. I'm sorry that happened. A week later, I got the call from this church saying, we're going to give you the full-time young adult pastor position. Some of you are bouncing around from job to job to job, relationship to relationship to relationship, and church to church to church. Because there's someone in your past that hurt you, and you never dealt with it. And yes, it will be awkward because some of you are like, man, years have passed. I know, years passed. It will be strange. It will be awkward. But God says, I love you so much. We are not going to worship. We are not going to pray. We're not going to do anything until you go fix it. Now, you can try to move past that. But God says, I'll stop you eventually. My friends, if we are going to stand a chance at all of loving the city, of changing the world, then we need to be internally relationally healthy. You've got to have a desire in here to fix what is broken. And we, as people, as Christians, will only walk in the light when our desires mirror our Savior's. Now, we want to end this sermon a little bit differently. I don't let this moment pass. Some of you already have the name in your head. You already know who you need to talk to. And so you need to pray in this next few moments as I invite Nate up to play some music. You need to pray that God would give you the courage to go fix what you broke. And others of you, you don't know the name, but you know something's wrong. And you need, you need to pray, God, if there's someone that I have wronged, if there's someone who's wronged me and I've hated them, help me 
I need to fix it. And we're praying that God gives you a name. And others of you, you're doing really relationally well. And you just simply need to pray, Lord, would you help me from becoming obsessed with myself and continue to pour into other people? That's your prayer. So we're going to pray, and then I'm going to walk you through a couple more things. So stay with us. But let's pray for a few minutes.